I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Jonathan Goldstein, and you're listening to Wiretap on CBC Radio 1. Today's episode, Bad Thoughts. And just a heads up, this first story makes reference, though never explicitly, to some body subject matter. All in good fun, of course, but still may not be appropriate for sensitive or younger listeners. So, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my friend Scott when he began to tell me about a new obsession of his. A 10-foot-tall statue of Mormonism founder Joseph Smith. Or, more specifically, its groin area. Because it's 10 feet tall, when you walk up to it, your head is, like, right about at crotch level. Uh-huh. And he's wearing very tight pants, and his crotch is, like, bulging. It's like... A Dolphin surfacing almost. It's, like a dolphin? Well, it's like a... It's, like a it, it's a noticeable bulge. Okay. And I just wonder why they did it. Like, why did they make the statue like that? Yeah. You walk right up and that's all you see. I mean, the temptation is, like, there's, there's a temptation to reach out and, like, touch it. Because, like, you know, it's like a... Just like to have... I don't know what it's like. It's troubling. It's troubling that I just keep thinking about it. The statue sits in the center of Salt Lake City, where Scott lives. And whenever he'd see it, he'd wonder, is there some mysterious iconography at play here? Or is it all in my imagining? Simply put, Scott wondered if there was something abnormal about the statue or whether there was something abnormal about him. A few days after we spoke, I received an email from Scott saying he was still thinking about the statue more than he felt was normal. I thought, he wrote, that I was doing okay, that things were looking up. But then I remember the statue. I understand how once you get a bad or even just a dumb thought in your head, it can become corrosive. The more guilt you feel for thinking it, the more the thought spirals. And then, the next thing you know, you're walking around feeling guilty all the time. You become one of those slumped-over guys who stare at the sidewalk all day, unable to meet the gaze of fellow citizens. In Scott's case, his Mormon neighbors. Since I was going to be in Salt Lake City for a radio story, and since I'd also taken a few art history classes in college, I offered to go visit the statue with Scott to give my take and hopefully bring him some peace of mind. Just move. Move your car. What are you doing? And so there I was, two weeks later, stuck in Salt Lake City downtown traffic with my friend and fellow reporter, Sean Cole. We are entering the maw of Mormonism. Is that offensive? Well, no, I mean, every, I have a ma. Everybody has a ma. Mormons have ma's, and Mormonism has a ma. 
And you sleep with your ma. Oh my God! What, you're gonna deny it? Raising that! I slept next to my mother, and we were in Africa. Indeed, it was Africa. It was actually a wholesome mother and son safari with very cramped sleeping arrangements. But because it gets such a rise out of Sean, I do my best to bring it up every chance I get. <laughs> All right, we're on our way to Scott's. What are you eating? Breakfast. Did you learn in uh, radio journalism school not to talk with your mouth full into a microphone? The statue is in an atrium in the Joseph Smith Memorial Building. We met Scott on the street corner nearby. Hey, man. Hi. I hadn't seen Scott in years. He still looked like a lean and tall cowboy, grizzled, handsome. And we can see the temple. We said our hellos, and then we went over our mission. Well, I want to. This statue that I've been telling you about, I'm glad you guys are here because I can show it to you and then it won't be, uh, you will believe me in what I say, that it's a rather suggestive and alluring the way the statue is formed. So you feel like if we agree with you somehow, um, it'll validate your feelings or you won't, you won't feel so abnormal? Abnormal, yeah. I don't know if they're going to let you record in here. So we entered the building and Scott led the way over to the statue. Beautiful. Oh, here's the statue. It was on a pedestal overlooking the atrium. Beside it, a man at a grand piano played show tunes. So it's about how, how tall? Well, I'm comparing it to a basketball hoop. And that's probably about the top of his hair. It's probably about basketball hoop, I think. Maybe a little taller. He's wearing a, like an 1800s tight waistcoat with long tails, and his pants are kind of tight, or especially around the groin area. So he's got a book, and I guess that he's... Book is the Book of Mormon. It'd be weird if it wasn't, if it was like The Catcher in the Rye or something. <laughs> From this angle, you can't really see the bulge. The shadow doesn't really... I don't yeah. know, what do you think? I didn't know what to say. I wanted to help, but I just didn't know if I was seeing it. I don't see much of a bulge. Really? You don't? But maybe it's just the lighting of the time well, of day or something. I walked around it, looking at it, this way and that. I, was quite I really did want to see what Scott saw, to support my friend. But I just wasn't sure. It's almost like um, a Trump day. It was while performing my inspection and feeling kind of sacrilegious about it, that I noticed someone making a beeline towards us with what I can only describe as determination. It was a volunteer, a Mormon woman in her mid-80s. She was wearing a name tag that read, Sister Margaret Nelson. She started giving us the history of the statue. The statue uh, was uh, made over in Italy out of one piece of very rare marble called Terrar. As she spoke, Scott and I kept stealing glances at the problem area of the statue. And you can touch it and feel it. When Sister Margaret was done, she asked if we had any questions. Any questions? Um, 
Uh... I was nervous about what Scott might ask her, so I jumped in with the first thing that popped into my head. Are you going to go see the, the Book of Mormon when it comes here? Oh, you mean the play? Yeah. Well, no, for the simple reason I can't afford to. <laughs> but I understand it's a hoot. <laughs> you don't think it's insulting to the church? Uh, no. Mormons during some of it. But you know, let me tell you, right. when that opened up on Broadway, there were more Book of Mormons handed out to people at that period of time than any other time in New York because it aroused a curiosity about the Book of Mormon and that and the Mormon Church. And so they had no, nothing against it. You know, we can laugh at ourselves. I think everybody should be able to laugh at themselves. Then she asked if we had any more questions. questions I can well, answer we have one you. question, but I don't know if we, I can ask it. It might be completely inappropriate. So, well, if you have any questions, let me see if I can answer them. Really? But what if it's, what if, all right, it's just, okay, I'm going to ask this question. If you're offended, please tell me, all right? Or maybe if it's completely inappropriate. Okay? Is that all right? All right. All right, so... The, in, in his pants, in his crotch there, Joseph, the, Joseph Smith, you know, it's rather large. Do you notice that, that they've displayed his... I've never noticed it. Oh, you never noticed <laughs> No, uh, I have not. Uh, I you know, the, that the trousers they wore back in those days were disgusting, some of them. Uh, I was see, watching a movie on TV the other day, and they were wearing tights almost like the, the women are wearing today. And some of them were very, a little bit too much, but that's how what they dressed in. The style then. That was, that was the style, style then, and uh, and so, no, <laughs> believe it or not, I guess I've never noticed. <laughs> so. But now that you have noticed? I'll still look up at that beautiful face. You keep your eyes trained on the face. <laughs> eyes up here, eyes up here. Uh, eyes up there, you bet. All right. It's, it's like you gentlemen walking down the street. Do you look at a girl's beautiful face or do you look at a girl's beautiful back end? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a question. <laughs> well, that's very nice. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Thank you for talking to us. Well, you're welcome. Thank I just you. love to talk about the church because I love it. So, I think that kind of like. That was justifying that even um, uh, that even that Sister Nelson kind of thought that the pants that they wore back then were pretty provocative. Too tight. What did she call it? What was the word she used? Disgusting. Disgusting. Right, right, right. But so it's not your fault to have disgusting <laughs> thoughts with those disgusting pants. All right. I know. So now I feel better. So Scott was feeling better. I mean, if an 80-something-year-old Mormon woman thinks something's up, you should feel pretty absolved. All right. Stopping at the stop. So, I think it's with that, Sean and I, with a sense of accomplishment, got, got back into the car and headed off to the airport. Hey, look, look what's on the side of the uh, train. Zebras. And where did you see zebras? Africa. And where did you sleep with your mother? Oh, my God! It never gets old. You are the worst person. A nice memory of Africa.
Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Johnny, my friend. Hey, Gregor. I think thoughts can manifest themselves as realities. Oh, yeah. And I think you've made your life. It's like meditating on failure. And I think you've dug a hole for yourself. And that hole is called your life. I, you know, that's... You think about things over and over, ruminating like a cow ruminates, chewing things through its five stomachs. Overcoming these repetitive, scary thoughts takes patience. It takes persistence. And I have both of those things. Mm -hmm. Where you walk... It's like footprints in the snow in your brain. Mm-hmm. You're making these neural grooves in your brain that are very familiar, and you wear them into your brain. And pretty soon, it's very hard to get out of those grooves because you're like, I'm a donkey. I smell like garlic going over and over and over down I, the same path. So what are you over. saying? I should do some kind of positive visualization? Is that it? Yes, positive visualization, revisualization. Okay, you don't think it's too late. I mean, obviously, it's much too late for you, but it's never too late. Wait, what? Let me just give what? you these four tools, right? You got a pencil? Do I have a pencil? Why is that a ridiculous question? It's very straightforward. Who uses, you negative you are? who uses pencils anymore? What am I, like a bookie? It's a straightforward question. It's a yes or no answer. It's what's called binary in computer world. I have a pen, yes. Okay. All right. Very hostile. We're going to work with you. You know, you set a certain tone. Step one. Yes. Three visualizations. Okay. Give me one of your bad thoughts. You're drowning in a bowl of soup, Okay. Well, who thinks about that? I think about that. You drowning in a bowl of soup. You think about me drowning in a bowl of soup. Please don't get stuck on the one thought. It's just one among many, many thoughts. Okay, can I I at least suggest to you my bad thought rather than having you thrust a bad thought onto me? Sure, okay, give me one of your bad thoughts. It's probably playing on endless loop in your head, like a Jimmy Buffett song in Florida. You know, sometimes I worry when I'm walking down the street that I'm going to trip and fall. Maybe I think about that more than most. That's not a bad thought. That's a perfectly reasonable thought. How is that a reasonable thought to, to, with every step to be thinking about falling? Come on. As your mother likes to say, you were never very coordinated. Why are you're you— You're getting older. You're validating my negative thoughts. You probably thought, have, like, positional hypotension coming on from all the salty food you eat, so you stand up and you get dizzy. You should walk slowly. Probably use a walker. I'm, I'm in my 40s, but I should use a walker. We could make it cool. We could decorate it with stickers, irreverent stickers. I think I get the idea. Let's move on to number two. Okay. You need to use positive self-talk. This one I think is going to be hard for you because you're so unbelievably negative all the time, like a lead blanket filled with lead shot dropped from a lead blimp on top of a pile of lead. What are you suggesting? What do I say? It's a little sad that you don't even know how to say something positive, but I'll show you how it's done and then you do it, okay? Mm -hmm. Oh, look at me. The sun shines where I stand. The sun shines where I stand. I light up the room. Okay, now you try. I don't know. I mean... Uh, I'm looking forward to having this sandwich that I like after work. Okay. Okay, what kind of sandwich are you picturing? Just curious. I don't know. I was I was going to I was thinking about turkey. Do you understand that when you do positive self-talk, I'm not saying what's the watered up piece of paper in your pocket that says you need to pick up some stuff on the way home like some cat food. Okay. Self-talk right. is like this. I'm going to be like Kanye West times a million. That's positive self-talk. Okay, I'm 
I am the greatest radio broadcaster of my generation. Okay, you're on the right track, but obviously you've gone way too far. What, 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 what do you, why? Jenny, the point of this exercise is not to just say lies. But you, you're the one who said. Jenny, the greatest radio broadcaster. You're not fit to carry Garrison Keillor's rhubarb pie. Be-bop-a-rhubarb, rhubarb pie. You know that song he does? Okay, let's move on to three. Okay, this one is a fun one. You shrink down your chatterbox. What? See what I'm saying? What, is a ch- what does that mean? It's a metaphorical box, not an actual box. Although Lord knows you probably have an actual box inside you, too. Like a box of raisins you didn't realize you had to open and you just ate the whole box. Okay, please can we move on. Inside your head, you got this chattering little chatterbox, right? Uh-huh. You're going to shrink that chatterbox down. Okay. You're going to fade your thoughts down. All right, that's kind of a nice one. All right, now, okay, and what's the, what's the final one? Getting your impure thoughts out. Picture your head is like a balloon where someone who had a lot of garlic blew it up. I... Now, inside that balloon, it's full of bees. Mm-hmm. Those bees are your impure thoughts. Okay. Now, what your objective here is in this fourth and final exercise right. is to get the bees out of your balloon. Okay. So let's start. Give me one. Don't be ashamed. No judgment zone. Tell me one of your impure thoughts. To name it is to claim it. You're going to say it, and we're going to let it go. We're going to let it fly away. Sometimes when I'm waiting in line at the grocery store, you know they have those racks of chocolate bars. Sometimes I just feel like reaching out and grabbing them and squishing them when no one's looking. What are you, out of your mind? Why would you squish chocolate bars? It doesn't even make any sense. I didn't say that I do. I said that I think about it. Okay. I'm just going to say a better impure thought would have been if you think of stealing them or maybe eating them and not paying or something like that. Wait, there's a hierarchy? You're telling me what the better impure thoughts are? Your impure thoughts stink. You're going to squish chocolate How is this a a judgment-free zone? If if you're judging me for my bad thoughts. Can't help it. I grew up in Flushing, Queens, New York, uh, the youngest of three kids, middle-class, conservative Jewish upbringing. I was a creative writing major in college, writing poetry and short stories. I had a sign on my bedroom door, Question Authority, and I was basically dumped by my girlfriends when I was an upper junior at Queens College. And I was sitting in the cafeteria of the spring semester, and three women came flirting with me, pretending to be students. It turned out that they were not students, but they were recruiters for the moon cult. I was not looking for a new belief system or to change religions or to drop out of college or to cut off from my family or friends. But I thought I might get lucky and have one of them out for a date. And over a period of two weeks, I came to believe that Armageddon was happening, that the Messiah was on earth, and that God had a plan for me. They succeeded in planting this this question in my head. What if it's true? What if God has sent the Messiah to save the planet, and I miss it? Miss the opportunity, say no, and regret it for eternity. And at that point, it became, I need to do the right thing, which is surrender to God, 
to Sun Young Moon and his wife to take over the world. I mean, I was sleeping three to four hours a night, working seven days a week, because I believed it 100%, and I would do whatever I was told to do, which included dying on command, killing on command, recruiting new people. I was literally unable to think a negative thought about the leadership, the doctrine, or the group, and I was taught to do a thought-stopping, a behavior modification technique of chanting or praying or singing whenever I had a, a doubt enter my conscious mind to suppress it. And as my parents, my, my, my friends said, Steve, what are you doing? This guy's not the Messiah. He's an anti-Semite. He's a fascist. You're in a cult. You're being brainwashed. It, it was just confirmation that Satan was working through my family and friends. I fell asleep at the wheel of a fundraising van in Baltimore, Maryland, and woke up as I was driving 80 miles an hour into the back of a tractor-trailer truck and crashed. And I was in the hospital with a surgery on my ankle, and it was during that period where I was away from the group, sleeping, eating, and just recovering, that I reached out to my sister, Thea, and I arranged the visit. And I made her promise not to tell my parents and fortunately, my sister broke her promise and did tell my parents, and I was deprogrammed. It started involuntarily, and I almost snapped my father's neck. It was very dramatic. And in, in that moment where my father was trying to bring me to another location for the deprogramming, he just broke down in tears. And I had never seen my father break down in tears. And he just said, what would you do if it was your only son who met a group of people and dropped out of college, quit his job, donated his bank account? How would you feel, Steve? And he's crying. And it just hit me so deep. It was so obvious that he loved me and he was sincerely worried about me. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I just want you to voluntarily listen to what these ex-members have to say and think about it. And if you want to go back, I'll drive you myself. But at least your mother and I can sleep at night knowing we did the responsible thing. And I couldn't say no. And over a period of five days... The ex-members were teaching me about eight criteria that any environment may be judged as a brainwashing environment. And it was obvious that the family, the cult, did all of those. So then I was left with the fundamental contradiction of, hmm, so Satan does brainwashing, but the family does brainwashing too. And that did not compute. Part of the teaching was that God didn't make Adam and Eve obedient. He, he gave them free will. In fact, they disobeyed. So if God didn't brainwash Adam and Eve to be obedient, how could any group in God's name do it now? And it was, it was like my critical thinking started operating 
and it felt like this house of cards going, and I started crying. And I cried for, I think, about three hours. The emotional feeling of having dedicated your life to believing in a group, in a person, and then finding out it was a lie is over, overwhelmingly just horrifying and embarrassing. And it was amplified for me because I had been involved with recruiting hundreds of other people. In November 18, 1978, was the Jonestown tragedy with, with 276 children being cyanide-laced Kool-Aid. And I had never heard of that group, but just seeing those bodies lying face down on the jungle floor, I just thought, that could have been me. That could have been me doling out the, the Kool-Aid. That could have been me with a gun shooting people if they didn't want to drink the Kool-Aid. For the first few months when I exited, I missed that feeling of the fantasy that we had the answer, that we were the elite, and this this fantasy movie in my head of a world of harmony and love and peace where everyone was fed and everyone was treating each other with, with love and kindness. And for the first few months as I was, I was trying to recover and, and reclaim my brain, I missed it. And I missed the sense of camaraderie, of, of feeling like every act mattered. But never did I want to go back. The human spirit wants to be free. On Wiretap today, you heard Sean Cole, Gregor Ehrlich, and Scott Carrier, whose excellent new podcast, Home of the Brave, can be found in iTunes. At the end of the show, you heard Stephen Hassan, who, after leaving the Unification Church, spent the next 38 years dedicating himself to helping free people from mind control cults. His book, Combating Cult Mind Control, has just been released with an updated 25th anniversary edition. Wiretap is produced by Mira Bertwin-Tonic, Crystal Duhame, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.